Welcome to Wealth Made Simple with Shaz, where you'll learn how to master your money through business, property, and tax saving strategies. Your host has collectively helped his clients make tens of millions of pounds in additional profits through these strategic approaches to business. Introducing Shaz Nawaz, an award-winning chartered accountant, property tax expert, entrepreneur, and property investor. This is the final video in the compilation on property strategies. And this is a quick reminder, in the first video, I covered vital properties for you. In the second video, I covered HMOs, service accommodation, and BRRR. Third video, commercial conversions, flips, and joint ventures. Fourth video, rent to rent, new bills, and lease options. Fifth video, crowdfunding, deal sourcing, and off-plan properties. And in this final video, I am going to cover for you purpose-built student accommodation, social investment properties, and real estate investment trusts. So let's get started and look at purpose-built student accommodation. Student accommodation. Student housing comes in two main types. The first is similar to an HMO, obviously aimed at students, and the second is purpose-built student accommodation, sometimes referred to as PBSA. Both share similar benefits and downsides, which should be taken into account for your long-term property investment strategy. And of course, you should have more than one strategy because don't put all your eggs in one basket. The upside of this type of investment strategy is that you can rely on a consistent income cycle as the student term is obviously fixed and set and every year you've got new students coming in uh, depending on obviously where they're studying. And after three years obviously they move on, they might not stay with you for three years or if they're doing uh, a postgrad, they might stay on longer uh, with you but it's a year on year agreement. Now, this ensures that there will be consistent stream of tenants for you uh, every single year. So it's a good revenue source and you, you can pretty much predict and project uh, the income that that's gonna come with it. However, as with HMOs, there are downsides linked to obviously the benefits in terms of student accommodation. And the first one is, uh, it's, not gonna, it's not a downside, but something to be aware of this isn't going to be to everybody's taste and liking. Just like HMOs aren't to everybody's taste and liking, every strategy is different. Some people love a particular strategy, other people kind of loathe that particular strategy. So you need to work out which works for you. For example, the trade-off for a reliable supply of student tenants is that you will also guarantee yourself uh, pretty much a void period every year uh, that you're unlikely to be able to fill because uh, when the students break up in the summer recess or break, uh, there's no income coming in for you. This is particularly the case with purpose-built student accommodation, which cannot be rented out as a normal buy-to-let because in a normal buy-to-let, obviously you've got tenants on a six-month assured uh, short-hold tenancy. Uh, with student accommodation, it's different. Likewise, renting to students is likely to result in more wear and tear and more maintenance, hence why you've got to obviously uh, have a deposit and have a rent guarantor, which is usually uh, a student's parent or parents. Purpose-built student accommodation tends to mean new build of or small blocks of uh, flats or apartments uh, that have been designed especially for students. So generally speaking, there's a shortage of 
residential property and students really prefer to have purpose-built student accommodation because they've got certain needs and requirements and they'd rather live uh, in a purpose-built student block as opposed to an HMO. Uh, and then this, and this is why increasingly uh, there's more purpose-built student accommodation available out there uh, and it works incredibly well uh, and it's a great strategy and you obviously can make sure that you've got separate kitchens and bathrooms and showers uh, and all other facilities available. Some people even have a gym, clearly uh, a common area and this will en enable you to charge more rent than you could do on an HMO because on an HMO uh, the bathroom or the shower could be shared with purpose-built student accommodation. You can have an ensuite for every single uh, student and of course that's of more value to the student so you'll be able to charge more rent. Now as an investor PBSA works much in the same way as with service accommodation uh, in the sense that uh, the investor buys one or more flats and then converts them into purpose-built student accommodation uh, in terms of you know buying a commercial property and you can convert that uh, into purpose-built student accommodation or you could obviously buy land and then obtain planning permission uh, to build uh, purpose-built student accommodation. The reason why I say it, it works uh, similar to service accommodation is in terms of it creates a, a good income stream and uh, it's a good strategy. But obviously for service accommodation, you charge by the night. Uh, for PBPSA, you charge on a fixed rate based on uh, a monthly agreement over a set term, which is obviously the academic term. Now, as an investor, uh, one of your concerns is going to be about buying the property and selling it at some point in the future and then thinking about capital gains tax. Uh, but I'd say don't focus on that too much. Focus on creating an income stream and creating a good business model. Any capital gains tax that you have to pay in the future, uh, you can look at later on. But income generation, I believe, is more important than worrying about the capital gain. The capital gain should always uh, be an extra advantage or a benefit. Uh, and I don't think you should buy property just because it's going to appreciate in value. You should buy property because it creates an income stream. So you're making your capital work for you uh, on a daily, weekly, and a monthly basis. And of course, you'll have bills to pay in terms of uh, mortgage, insurance, wear and tear, repairs, all that type of stuff, so to make sure that's all covered. Purpose-built student accommodation uh, can uh, give really great returns, uh, and the landlord is paid in advance usually, and the tenants uh, are obviously, uh, they have guarantors, uh, so you're pretty much guaranteed to get your rent. You take a deposit as well, so it's pretty safe. Uh, but despite it pretty, to some extent, uh, being uh, hands-off, investment uh, you need to make sure you do your due diligence you know exactly how it works in terms of rules and regulations uh, and you go into it with your eyes open that it's not going to be hands-off when you're working with students so you can either give it to an agent uh, or you can obviously uh, work uh, on the properties yourself it just depends on the size, size and scale of your business now it's important to do your research into the housing supply in an area to work out what the demand is because the last thing you want to do is build purpose, build student accommodation to then find out uh, there's not enough demand and you've just built, let's say, uh, a 40 unit site. So do your due diligence, look at the area, 
speak to the uh, universities, find out how, what resource they have and where the gaps are, uh, whether you can enter into some kind of arrangement with them. Also speak to them to see obviously if they can promote your unit to their students or alternatively take it on uh, for you uh, and to some extent manage the number of students that you get because obviously universities have their own digs uh, but those once they're taken up they haven't got any extra space so students then need to find uh, accommodation elsewhere and usually for the first year universities tend to accommodate students the best they can second year most students then have to find their own accommodation uh, so make sure the demand is there uh, I've had in the past where some people, not many, but some, uh, have gone into student accommodation without having fully understood the, the demand in that particular area. They've spent the money and then realized uh, half their units or a certain percentage of proportion are empty and it doesn't work well at all. Uh, so I can't stress enough that you must do your homework and you must do your research uh, if you're going into student accommodation. And that really applies to any strategy really. But student accommodation is important because you're relying on a set specific type of uh, or, uh, customer or tenant. Uh, and therefore, once you've done the properties up, of course you can rent them to uh, individuals, but if you've, done, if you've created them for students and then you try and rent them to uh, a family, they might not quite meet their needs in terms of the layout and how you've set it all up. So that's extremely important. Social property investment. Social property investment deals with social and affordable housing solutions uh, to the UK's current and ongoing uh, housing crisis and the recent spike in uh, homelessness, uh, although obviously uh, every council and local authority is different, but homelessness seems to be something that most councils can't get a full grip on uh, for various different reasons, and I'm not going to go into that today because we're not here to talk about politics, uh, we're here to talk about property investing. Uh, and although this property strategy focuses on adding social value uh, to uh, the world of property and to obviously tenants, uh, it is still a property investing strategy, so you've got to make sure that the numbers tie up and it works for you. It is a good strategy, I recommend it, uh, and you're not only delivering good, affordable houses to people who need them, but you're also at the same time running a business, so you need to make sure that uh, you make those two tally up and work well together in tandem. Now you can work with housing associations on this uh, strategy and also you can work with councils uh, and if you're creating uh, social housing, uh, it may be likely uh, that you can get planning permission on particular sites where you may not be able to get planning if you're going to sell those properties privately. The other benefit is obviously if you can work with a housing association uh, and you can sell properties to them, you've got a couple of options. You can get the land, obtain the planning, and sell it to a uh, housing association with uh, the planning, or you can build it out for them, agree the sale before you start building, and then get them to cash flow that uh, development for you. Uh, and that works really well, and if you've got, if you've got a couple of housing associations uh, in a, your local area, they're always looking for more homes. Uh, and again, different areas are different, uh, but some housing associations own thousands, some tens of thousands uh, of properties, and then they've got a need for even more properties. So work with them. They have the ability to buy property, 
if you've got the ability to deliver property, your margins are going to be tighter, you'll have a guaranteed buyer selling the whole kind of development or portfolio in one go, uh, it's going to work incredibly well for you. Uh, and uh, again, have a few clients who are using this particular strategy, it's working really well for them. And it's, it's the only strategy that they use because uh, it's way, way works like a dream and they've got contacts with a few different housing associations across the country who keep coming back to them and asking for more opportunities. Like I said, the planning uh, department would be most sympathetic towards uh, your application. So that works well as well. And uh, you're cre helping create uh, supply for something which is very much needed. Uh, and I, that kind of give is your uh, feel good factor to some extent in terms of giving back to the community. You can also enter into an arrangement with a local authority where you give them your property uh, on a five year lease uh, and they will then take charge of giving the, those properties uh, to people who are on their register uh, and then they'll take care of the repairs and maintenance. The other obviously alternative uh, is uh, you can approach the council and give, give those properties to uh, the people who are claiming housing benefit uh, on LHA rates. So that uh, could work well for you as well. And I know people who make that work incredibly well, but at the moment, councils are more keen, or some councils are at least anyway, more keen to have uh, a five-year lease because they're trying to address and fix ho uh, homelessness. And quite a few councils have been putting people who need emergency housing in hotels, which is costing them quite a bit of money. So they'd rather do a five-year lease uh, with a property owner that gives them access to a property at a much lower rate than they would be, obviously, when they're paying per night for a hotel. And the great thing with that, of course, is your rent's always paid on time. Uh, because uh, who better to do a deal with than the government or local government uh, because they always pay their bills. Simple as that. As long as you've got an agreement in place, you deliver the goods, you'll get paid. Uh, so you, that takes away the hassle of managing tenants. It then takes away the hassle, of course, also of uh, being concerned whether you're going to get you paid your rent on time and with any potential arrears that might happen. So it's it's pretty much a uh, uh, guaranteed income stream for five years if you go down the route of working with uh, your local authority or a local authority. And it's also a good strategy if you work with uh, housing associations yeah, because, like I said, they've got a, a need and uh, all the so social housing that I've built in the past, uh, we've been able to do deals with one particular housing association in a particular area. Uh, and they're, in fairness, they're pretty good to deal with. They're looking for good deals, but they're good to deal with. Uh, and uh, they try and be as helpful as they can. And they want good quality housing. So uh, I would strongly suggest you look at this and see if you can make it work for yourself. So the benefits are uh, good return and then some certainty over regular return. And there's a high demand in the, uh, in the sector for this type of housing. And the things that you need to bear in mind is that you need to have kind of more specialist knowledge of managing these types of properties, uh, especially if you're uh, working with uh, tenants who are on housing benefit. Uh, 
and what I mean by that is you need to understand how the system works, basically, so you can best serve uh, those tenants. Uh, and properties might or can sometimes be less desirable, uh, so the, the capital growth might not be uh, as good as in some other areas. So just bear that in mind. And the final one in this uh, compilation are Real Estate Investment Trust or a rate or REIT uh, as some people call it. So this is basically a trust uh, that owns and manages uh, properties on behalf of shareholders. Uh, now the REIT or REIT was introduced in January 2007 and it has pro provided a well-established method uh, to structure collective investment in UK real estate. And the ability for investors like yourself and myself to efficiently access rental income streams from wide-ranging uh, underlying real estate assets. Now, the key features of a rate include an exemption of corporation tax on rental profits and gains from the UK property rental business. So that's a good advantage. As a result, uh, a REIT must distribute 90% of its net property rental income to investors. So that's a good thing, obviously, if you're an investor. It also enables exempt investors to benefit uh, from their own tax status. So that's another benefit. REITs allow anyone to invest in pro uh, property portfolios or real estate assets the same way that they invest in other industries uh, through the purchase of individual company stock. And these aren't that well known because I think they are a new animal compared to kind of property itself. Uh, so, and usually it's bigger companies who get uh, set these structures up. But you don't have to be big, big, by the way. You could do it too. You just got to go through the process. So as a stockholder, if you have a share in a REIT, you're going to create income from the asset and without the hassle of buying those properties, managing those properties, funding and financing them. So it's very much hands-off. And a REIT allows investors to pull their funds together, which then the REIT uses to go out there and buy property. So they've got you know, economy of scale in terms of the cash available to them, depending on how many investors they have, so they can get really good deals for you with really good returns. And as an investor, you'll obviously get your payments uh, by way of dividends. And investors can hold their investments in an ISA, a SIP, a SAS, or a long-term investment savings account. Uh, so it makes it very tax efficient compared to obviously any other type of property strategy. And at the minute, there are, I think, best part of 50 REITs listed on the London Stock Exchange. So there's plenty of choice available to you. Mortgage REITs provide finance to purchase property and generate income uh, from the interest generated. There are also REITs that are listed on a stock exchange, but do not trade. And those that remain private are not listed on a stock exchange. That's obviously a choice, just like a business can decide to float as long as it meets the criteria through an IPO. Uh, similar uh, for a REIT, so uh, the, and the benefit there obviously is, is if you want to set up a REIT for yourself and uh, invite investors, you can do that. Uh, it's usually people who are more sophisticated or have more experience or access to investors who tend to do it, uh, but it is a good strategy and depending on your risk appetite and how involved you want to be in property, I'd say having some money in a REIT is a really good idea. Uh, also, as you become more experienced uh, and you have the cash flow and the contacts, uh, I think setting up your own REIT is really good because you can see the advantages and the lucrative uh, incentives for someone to 
invest in a REIT. So as long as you've got those investors and you can share the tax advantages and the other, other advantages of cash flow and dividend payments, uh, makes it a really good strategy for you to implement and adopt uh, as you grow and develop uh, in your property journey. And with all of these strategies, remember, there's no right or wrong way. Uh, so you decide what's right for you. You decide how you want to do it. Every strategy has its pros and cons, upside, downside, advances, disadvantages. Uh, like I said on some of the other videos, it's based on your priorities, your goals, your commitment, how involved you want to be, how much access you've got to uh, capital, what you want your business to look like at some point in the future. And you know, one person might say commercial conversions are the best thing since sliced bread. Another one will say to you single lets are the best thing since sliced bread. So it's horses for courses uh, and one size does not fit all. So you decide which strategy works best for you, research, learn, talk to people who are adopting all the strategies that I've shared in this compilation of videos with you and then test them out and see which one works for you and share your feedback. Any questions, post it in the comments below. Click subscribe so you get updated with all the new videos and if you like the video, click like so I know this is the type of content that you want. Thanks for listening to Wealth Made Simple. You can follow and contact Shaz on the Facebook pages Entrust Property Tax and The Profits Wizard. You can also find Shaz on LinkedIn, YouTube and Instagram. Alternatively, email him at shaz at aa-accountants.co.uk. Build your wealth by mastering money.